Hi, I'm Brayden. And I'm Alicia. And this is Lobster and Lasagna, where we talk about mental health, physical health, and anything in between with relationships and marriage. Don't forget to rate and follow our show on whatever platform you listen to and leave us feedback or any topics you want us to discuss. Welcome to the show. Farmer's tan already? I don't know, do I? <laughs> kind of looks like it. No, it's probably just for my watch. No, like the whole half of your left arm looks tan. I mean, maybe I get it when I drive. Maybe. I don't know. Hi, everyone. We're back. You say it every time. You do say it every time. How are we feeling tonight, Mr. Heal? Exhausted. Mm. Tired. Yeah. I get up early on these days, go to the gym. And work too hard. And then work. So. Long days. Mm-hmm. But the weather's getting nicer, which is always like a positive. Yeah, but then I'm, you know, I'm like Princess in the Pea, it's too hot. I'm ready for the warm weather. It can come. Doesn't I mean, I'm okay me. with warmer weather, but I don't like super warm weather. Because mm. then I'm uncomfortable. Because mm. I'm the furnace. Yeah. I run hot. Our baby's the toaster. Yeah, and Cass is the toaster. <laughs> All right. So feeling tired. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is kind of like something we've been thinking about in general and you have been thinking about with the transition to your new job, just mm-hmm. this idea of emotional exhaustion and what we call in the mental health world, compassion fatigue, right? Yeah. Yeah. This idea that when we hold space for people's trauma or stories um, or stress, it's hard to not take on some of that as your own. And sometimes the collective holding space and hearing and, you know, kind of bearing witness to people's stuff can become emotionally exhaustion, Mm -hmm. exhausting and can kind of become your own like weight that you carry. Yeah. Hence compassion fatigue. I never really experienced it until this job. Mm. Because now I'm like, I'm getting more into like case management almost too Mm. with the patients that I work with. You're working with a lot of end of life people mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. You've had a lot of people die. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I a feel lot like patients I've been die. A lot of people, I'm surrounded by death. Mm-hmm. Which is so it's that's its own kind of fatigue in its own way, right? Mm-hmm. Being around death and knowing people, even if you know your relationship is tangential, like them then dying mm-hmm. the next day. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. I also, I was thinking about like, you know, compassion fatigue too, like in relationships and friendships as well. I think, you know, I've been a social worker for 11 years now, which is kind of crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, I know. It used to be like not that long and now it's like, oh, why is it so long? Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel those years creeping up on you? Maybe. I will say I'm one of the few people I know who like I went to school with who still does social work. Everyone like 
has ditched not everyone but a large majority of people i graduate mm. with like are gone. now yeah in um, real estate and other fields it's kind of funny well let's be honest i'm here for the long game this baby. is like my fourth or fifth career True, true. So yeah. it is normal for people mm-hmm. to switch careers. Yeah, and of course, you know, like mental health and social work is, um, and ther- being a therapist can be fatiguing, right? Like we just discussed. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, part of compassion fatigue and like understanding it is like really understanding yourself and what is triggering for you and really using good coping skills to, to manage that fatigue when it becomes a lot before you get to burnout. Right. Cause I think mm-hmm. it, the barometer is like compassion fatigue and that's burnout. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Oh, but I've been thinking about this in relationships too and how sometimes I think this can be something that comes up in friendships or mm. even, you know, family relationships, um, or, um, maybe even partner relationships where it can be fatiguing to always be the one to hold space for the other person's narrative and not feel like there's a equal sharing of that space. And not that, you know, hmm. relationships are tit for tat, but I do think about like that metaphor of like deposits and withdrawal. There does have hmm. to be a somewhat even flow ish yeah flow. balance flow that's a better word than even because even's like you know unless i don't like yeah, that don't word. get me going on yeah <laughs> yeah but there has to be you know what i'm trying to say there has yes. to be kind of a a balance here of withdrawals and deposits right mm-hmm. if one person is only doing all the withdrawals from you right like and you're not able to ever inhale you're always exhaling then i think that can be f- compassion fatigue as well that sounds like emotional and relationship hypoxia Oh, please say more. Why is that big? I mean, hypoxia is essentially just decreased oxygen. It was a joke. Got it. Got it. It's a medical term for decreased oxygen. So, but if you're always exhaling, where's your oxygen? Yeah. It's a good, it's kind of interesting to think about, right? Like, oh, I don't want to lay anyone down. Oh, I don't want to, you know, not be the good listener or be available or accessible, Mm -hmm. right? But that constant exhaling is, I think, what leads to compassion fatigue and then ultimately burnout, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're never taking that space to inhale, right? Putting on your own oxygen mask first. You're never doing what I feel like I tell a lot of people sometimes is just practice saying no. Practice taking time for yourself. Practice making space for yourself in a relationship. Which is really hard for us people pleasers. Mm. I feel for people pleasers because I am not one. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> Lisa's it's... like, yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. You are not a people pleaser. You're not a people pleaser. Yeah, no. there's not a bone in your body that feels responsible for anyone's no. experience in the room. No. <laughs> Versus me, I'm like, oh my God, are they okay? Are they okay? Do they have enough flour? Is that person like, did that joke offend that person? Yeah, like, no. Oh no. Like, do I need to like, yeah. I don't feel responsible for people, but I definitely like to connect with people, which... Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, people, I think when we talk about people players, I feel like it's somebody who feels like in order for the world or their environment to be safe or comfortable, they need to control everything around them. I actually think people-pleasing comes from the need for, like, love and belonging, right? Because it comes from this belief that mm-hmm. if I'm not, like, the version of what people want me to be then i'm not going to belong i feel like we're saying the same thing i'm just saying maybe yeah and you're saying it the other way because i i agree with you that it is love and wanting to belong but i feel like you kind of do that in a way of 
making sure that that happens. Mm -hmm. Like it's your way to make sure it happens. Yeah. Versus the people you're doing it for or around or with, they don't necessarily have that perception that it needs to be done that way. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Because don't you think there's a difference between truly belonging and fitting in? So you're saying a people pleaser is just wanting to belong and not fit in? Or are you saying there's two different yeah, things? Yeah, I think fitting in and belonging are different. I mm-hmm. think belonging is you are loved and accepted for being yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think fitting in is you are a version in the group and the group doesn't like really care. That's interesting. So you're saying fitting in is more of like you're like the, doing what you're 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 looking like what the group wants, but they don't care if like you're there or you're not. Uh, okay, okay. Because in my mind, I was like, I was thinking about belonging as like you are who you are, but you belong there, so nobody really cares what you're like, Mm-mm. and you're still there. And then fitting in would be like you're pretending to be something, yeah. so that you can stay in the space. Yes. That's kind of how I think. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's Are a good Are we on way. the same page? Or? Yeah, I think fitting in is, is being a version of yourself or creating a version of yourself to, okay. to like, be accepted, quote, yeah. unquote, by that group. Yeah. But, like, the group doesn't care, really, right? Because it's it's disingenuine. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, belonging, like, you, like your true self is. So it's, like, a more of a connected feeling, yeah. essentially, is mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yeah, so I guess in my mind, though, I feel like people pleasing, you're saying... I just want to double check and make sure I'm not completely flipping this because it's important. You're saying that people pleasers want to fit in or do they want to belong? They want to belong, but I think they end up fitting in. Okay. And so I guess what I'm thinking is, is people who are fitting in are creating this version of themselves Mm -hmm. and in their perception, they may not realize it, but that's like them kind of taking control of that situation in my mind they're controlling Hmm. their their image they're controlling their persona in order to fit in and to be part of something Mm -hmm. and so i guess in my mind that's part of it right i mean there are people out there where anxiety and stuff like that they use control to kind of help with that right yeah well like controlling things like comes from this belief that like if I control everything then I won't have to deal with any painful emotions or experiences right then yeah. I won't experience rejection or hurt yeah. or disappointment or being left out yeah. or loneliness right yeah. so if I always control the way I present myself the way the house looks the yeah. way that you know no one's gonna you know make the negative comment no one's going to yeah. you know do that thing that hurts so much yeah and that in my mind kind of connects a little bit to the fitting mm-hmm. in and like people pleasing i just noticed that in my mind weird yeah question. well i think the opposite of of caring what people think right which mm-hmm. is kind of people pleasing and mm-hmm. perfectionism and right yeah. is authenticity and that my friends is how you connect two brains <laughs> that say are the same thing but it doesn't seem like you're saying the same thing and i mm. feel like that happens a lot actually yeah and, and with everybody not just yeah. you and i probably you have to, like, clarify, like, the definitions in your language, right? And guess what? It's even harder to connect the brains when you're freaking fatigued. <laughs> Physically and emotionally. Yeah. I mean, 
I didn't, I, I've never really experienced this until this job. This job is definitely, I was going to say open my eyes, but I don't think it really opened my eyes. I've always been aware of death and I've always been aware of stressful things. I've always been aware that people have their own stories and whatnot. I think more what it's done is, is continuously exposed me to those, which then causes that compassion fatigue. Because now I'm dealing with it on the daily, hearing about people's stories, hearing about a patient that comes in and their family members abusing them, or there's some weird domestic dispute, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's affecting um, the discharge planning. That's affecting um, a patient's um, rehab potential. There's, There's a lot of stuff that kind of ties into it, and it's just... I mean, the stuff that I've been experiencing is far more, in my mind, far more intense than I've experienced in the past as an athletic trainer and as an outpatient physical therapist. Because those people are just ambulating, just walking in. Yeah. I sprained my ankle. Can you help me? Yeah, I can help you. No problem. Two weeks later, have a nice day. And these people are like, I've fallen, broken my hip. I'm over 80 years old my family's not supportive i haven't walked in five months (laughs) and it's a completely different situation so i'm definitely getting more exposure consistently to more intense situations which is it's kind of taking its toll on me i almost feel like within the past few days almost i feel like i've come home and just been like Like, I can't, like, engage. Mm. Which is kind of what you were talking about. Yeah, right? Like, because I think you have to find ways to... If you're going to be in a profession, you're going to be in a space where you are hearing people's trauma and dealing with people's trauma and stuff, you have to find a way to not make it your own. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Which looks like compartmentalization, which looks like really good boundaries. Mm Mm-hmm. Which looks like you know, decompressing from stress. I'm laughing because when you said compartmentalization, I got a little PTSD. As somebody telling me in the past that I needed to take oh, my emotions. God. Take my emotions, put them in a box, and shove them to the side. <laughs> That's a far extreme of compartmentalization. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I have used that box metaphor before, you know, like where mm-hmm. we all like... You know, like with trauma in general, you like it's not that stuff is ever going to go, go away, but mm-hmm. you want to be able to kind of put it in a box, put a lid on it, put it on a shelf, and you get to decide when it comes off the shelf versus like the papers are flying everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, I feel like in my situation, mm. it was okay to leave the box where it was because <laughs> <laughs> it was so current. But yeah, no, sorry, PTSD. I digress. <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I think with the compassion fatigue and just the overall emotional fatigue, I'm lucky to have kind of learned about it from you, which allowed me to kind of acknowledge it and kind of be aware of it a little bit, which I think is the first step to like Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what I need to do in order to keep it at bay. Yeah. Do you have any specific things that you do if you start to feel it creeping up on you? I think I have figured out what triggers me the most. Mm -hmm. 
and knowing that maybe those patients or people I'm going to work with are going to create what's called countertransference, right? It's like when hearing someone's stuff like triggers your own stuff and then mm-hmm. you kind of like transfer that sometimes to a patient. Um, so like knowing what those things are for you, I think is important, right? Cause we all have our own like unique yeah. stories and histories and, you know, trauma and stuff, yeah. right? Like, or just baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so when I, if I were, if I choose to work for that with those patients, being really conscious of that aware and like seeking support around that through mm-hmm. like supervision or whatever I need, yeah. or, you know, there are just some patients I don't take on. Yeah. Right. And I think that's okay too, to just yeah. say, Hey, this isn't, you know, someone that I do a great job being a therapist with. Yeah, and that ties into quality of care essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. I think, you know, and that's a boundary, right? Mm-hmm. That's a boundary. Like you don't have to. It's not your job to be a good therapist or a good, you know, like, it's not my job to be a good therapist to every patient. Every patient, yeah. Yeah. It's your job to provide quality of care, whether that means you do it or you refer out. Yeah, so I support them with getting a different connection. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the number one thing. Yeah. And then I think when I feel like, um, maybe something is unexpectedly emotionally triggering, just, you know, A, being aware of it, like you said, and then, you know, B, like kind of digging into why it is and, mm-hmm. you know, doing your own kind of like self-care work around it. Mm-hmm. So I always say this happens a lot when I work with, um, teens who have like eating disorders or disordered eating histories, right? And like usually one or two is no big deal, but then I'll occasionally like have like five on my case and it's just like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, right? And it's just like the, the heaviness of all of them, kind of the same story. And sometimes that will um, trigger some of my own stuff about food, right? And so I think it's just like acknowledging if it's happening and then doing what you need to do to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like for you, it's like, um, accessing your own person for supervision at work or some kind of yeah. person that is supportive. Maybe you just have to talk things through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's great. Like remembering, you know, not to do things in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Right. I think whenever we do that, there's always like risk of kind of like doing harm. And I think at the end of the day, probably in both of our professions, right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the biggest like, um, ethic, right. Do no harm. Yeah. So, you know, I always think about that a lot. Um, yeah, but then, and then figuring out, like, you know, not to always go back to reset buttons, but I think they're such a key part of life, mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah. You know? Like exercise. Like exercise, and I think sometimes I lean too heavily on exercise and, you know, like remembering other things. Like mm-hmm. reading is another big one for me, and I've, like, been mm-hmm. making sure that's something I have access to as well and then just like length of period of doing things I always think that's important too right like you know maybe that half an hour on TikTok or you know I lose myself in the world of a book for an hour is like healthy but then if it's like three hours like Mm -hmm. okay now we've no longer I was gonna say I feel like effective yeah I feel like for me we look at social media and we look at certain aspects of that as it being more of an easy button sometimes but I still feel like there's certain things on YouTube that I subscribe to that just mm-hmm. brings me joy and kind of puts me into a better mood. Yeah. So there are definitely reset buttons tied into that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think it's just like you said, I, I definitely agree with it. 
is as like it's just a time frame. It's how long yeah. mm-hmm. you're using it mm-hmm. to reset versus if you're using it for like two to three hours, you're numbing out most likely. Yeah, and that's like we're in the shift, right? It yeah. shifts, and I think that's just something to be conscious of because it's easier mm-hmm. with those specific t- things. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of us aren't going to go like work out for three hours, so we don't need to mm-hmm. you know worry about yeah. something like that. Yeah, but you know, for those things that you know, kind of can be both, right? Mm-hmm. Straddle both, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, you got to be a little bit more careful. It's easy to get sucked in. I'm curious what your opinion is on how I told you um, about, there was something on like a, a reel or something on social media and it was talking about what goes into being a inpatient rehab physical therapist or an inpatient rehab occupational therapist or somebody who works in the therapy world. And it was basically somebody had like a big, a big like cup and they poured in a little bit of water and part of it was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, clinical knowledge. And another part of it was like, um, ability to connect with people. And then all of a sudden they take out this big five gallon jug of water and they do, uh, m- morbid sense of humor and they just <laughs> overfill the cup. Cause in my mind, I've seen it a lot getting into this setting now. And I've kind of partook in it as well, where it's like almost this coping mechanism where you're yeah. you're making a, a sense of humor out of it. And I also realized I've kind of been using um, sense of humor and like jokes here and there with my patients. And like, I do make it a point to say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm trying to make you laugh. It's, I'm not trying to take away from the fact that you're dealing with something significant here and that you are going through challenges. But I think that this allows you and I to kind of like just kind of step back away from it, but still be able to do the stuff that you need to do in order to make progress. I'm just curious in your thoughts on that. Like, do you think it's inappropriate? (laughs) (laughs) Help me, help me be an adult. No, I don't think humor is inappropriate unless it's like nasty or gossipy. Mm, Right. I think that's when we like, again, like a barometer. I feel like there's so many of this for everything. But, yeah, so if it's, like, you're mocking someone or making fun of them, mm-hmm. right, and, like, that's the type of humor that you're, you know, kind of, yeah. like, engaging as a group, I don't think that's okay. Yeah. But, yeah, if it's just the humor about the situation, I think, like, that's, like, that shared connection to get through, yeah. you know, the hard things together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the only reason I think about that, too, is because there are definitely, like, when you said, like, there's, you look out for triggers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I had a patient that had the same name as my mom. Mm. And was like a failure to thrive and Oof. was super low functioning and was just going through some serious stuff. Yeah. But it didn't actually trigger me. Hmm. That's interesting. I actually made jokes. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, hey, guess what? I have your name tattooed on my back. Like, I would throw things out there to kind of mm-hmm. like, and the patient would laugh a little bit and be like, no, you don't. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And like, so it's interesting things that you would think potentially would trigger me haven't triggered me but I wonder if it's because I use my sense of humor as like a coping skill with that and it's been so long yeah I was gonna say there also could be some underreacting there's definitely things that I think maybe should be triggering to me too and that aren't too right like it's almost like that that you've become so attuned to that being something Mm -hmm. that's one of your things that you're able to just kind of gloss over it and Mm -hmm. almost not in a bad way in a a, a healthy not in a maladaptive way in an adaptive way Mm -hmm. so 
I think that could be true too. Yeah, because I think, I think when it comes to the compassion fatigue, I'm not necessarily feeling fully the fatigue yet I think sometimes what happens is is like I'm kind of like sitting around at home later in the day and I like think about stuff and then like something hits me and I'm like Mm. fuck Mm. like that was actually pretty heavy yeah but I'm not thinking about it in the moment because I'm focused on quality of care Mm -hmm. I'm focused on keeping the patient safe I'm focused on you're compartmentalizing in the moment yeah so Mm -hmm. it's interesting it kind of reminds me of when I was an athletic trainer and I had a pretty scary moment on the field I got an autopilot mode. Yeah. Made sure that the athlete was safe, took care of them, checked them all out, you know, did all the mm-hmm. red flag checks and got them uh, safe. And then afterwards, my hands were shaking. I actually started crying, like just kind of like overwhelmed. And I kind of feel like that's potentially compassion fatigue or more of shock. <laughs> <laughs> well, also like you went through, you know, like I think, Trauma. As, yeah, as as the provider in that situation went through a scary scenario too. Yeah. Mm. But that's kind of that's more of what I've been feeling. The more I really think about it, I don't think I'm at that like overwhelmed fatigue point yet. Like burnout, yeah. But um, I can see how it would happen. How people get there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely some people I've seen that have that. Yeah. And I honestly think, you know, just kind of going back to like how I've been in this field for so long, right? And a lot of people. You old lady. <laughs> Beautiful old lady, I might add. Oh, I thank you. <laughs> aging well. <laughs> like fine wine. Oh and I'm just aging like milk. Curdled. Curdled. <laughs> Cottage cheese. Ew. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't even know I was going to say now. Sorry. But see, I told you, I use Curdled my sense of like humor. Cottage cheese. But in this case, you it wasn't talking, helpful. You were talking about how long you were in the industry. <laughs> yep. And that was it. That All right. Cool. <laughs> it's like a, like a pigeon just like no, flew away fault. with the pebble. <laughs> I feel like I'm confusing birds. Penguins have pebbles, not pigeons. Penguins have pebbles? Yeah. Didn't you ever watch that movie, The Pebble and the Penguin? No. Yeah, that's like how they decide that they're going to mate for life. They give one penguin, gives another penguin a pebble. A pebble? I don't know if this is true or not, so maybe someone can, like, fact check. <laughs> but in the movie with Rocco, you know that, the crazy, you never watched that pebble in the I penguin movie? Have, no. Oh, my God. Is that something we're going to have to watch with Cass? Yeah, maybe. It's very cute. Yeah, There's no. this, like, crazy penguin called Rocco. It's you cuckoo can bring hair. into and... your crazy penguin world. Anyway... I'm sure someone else has the nostalgia of that like oh, I can't 90s wait. movie. I can't wait for um, someone to comment. <laughs> yeah, I've watched that. Brayden, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm surprised because you've seen a lot of like obscure. I don't know who made that movie. It wasn't a Disney movie, but hmm. anyway. is it like an animated one? Yeah, it's an animation. Oh, like yeah, like ones. kids movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, Pebble and the Penguin. All right. Yeah, so pe- I think, according to the film. <laughs> I'm going so far. We would mate for life. He'd give me a pebble. All right. I'm going to throw a pebble at you later. <laughs> we'll just hit you with it. Here you go. We're mating for life. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you're like, I reject it. And you throw it into the woods. No, I don't think the penguins reject pebbles. I was saying you would. Oh. <laughs> you just go, I reject it. And walk oh over to the back door God. and throw it into the woods. Oh, my God. So ridiculous. I was hoping by going on that tangent, my train of thought would come back. Me too. But that's all right. Yeah. It hasn't. Shit. <laughs> was it, a, is it about compassion fatigue? Yeah, it was about compassion fatigue and 
I was, I think I was going to say something about like how I feel like I've been able to stay in the field successfully so long and deal with compassion fatigue is, oh, is because I like have finally, you know, or in over time, like have worked myself into a position where I get to say no. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Yeah. You were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of patients like I right I will not see I will help them get connected to something, mm-hmm. right? Just because which is still doing them a service. Yeah, of course, right? Yeah. Like I'm I'm just not providing them like that therapeutic, you know, mm-hmm. service with me, um, yeah. or relationship with me. But I think that's something too that is an issue, um, across probably both of our fields mm-hmm. and why there is so much compassion fatigue that then leads to burnout is there's not a lot of spaces because of the way our healthcare system is broken and just like all these things, right? You're forced to just do it. Yeah, like, right? Like, there there isn't a choice. You can't say no. You have to care for that person. Interestingly enough, I actually... Sorry, I didn't mean to... No, that was all I was going to say. Interestingly enough, I do feel like, at at least at my place, my boss is very supportive on that. So if I did come up to them and be like, hey, like, I'm having a really hard time with this patient. It's bringing stuff up for me. And just, like, trying to keep myself grounded, she'll be understanding mm. of that and actually allow me to say no. And then Which is great. Flip-flop if we need yeah. to. That, I don't think that that happens everywhere, obviously, the way mm-hmm. you were talking. It doesn't happen, and it's definitely not going to happen if there isn't a second clinician that can flip-flop with you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So. I also think another thing that helps with avoiding burnout, and this is very much a huge, like, privileged thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be able to be in a position, which we both are, where we can care about all the things for a certain period of time, and then we can be done caring about them, mm. right, for that day. And that's, again, a very privileged position to be in, but I think that definitely helps. Yeah. Right. Not having to deal with potentially... Yeah. Like whoever you're working with, maybe you're working with lower income people or maybe you're working with somebody who's dealing with something and you don't have to deal with that is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you care about the stuff and you support the people and you do all the things, right? Mm -hmm. You're on and then you get to shut off and be done. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because you don't have to deal with it. No. At home. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's huge too in like sustaining. Yeah things and being in a a caregiving profession yeah or a therapeutic profession yeah it is crazy it's interesting I'm listening to a book that kind of talks about that and this might be a tangent we can cut it out if it is (laughs) (laughs) Um, no we're the authentic podcast oh my god the painful authentic podcast (laughs) that's the new name of the podcast I feel feel like I'm not very good at organizing my thoughts right now Um, but I was listening to a book that was kind of talking about this about even though sometimes that privilege will you know like having that privilege can make us feel guilty right like in kind of you know bad about like doing something like 
you know, silly or fun, like, oh, I'm going to decorate cupcakes, right, for my kid's birthday, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, how can we be decorating k- cupcakes for my kid's birthday when, like, you know, kids in Syria <laughs> have know. have no water, right? Or the cliche things I heard as a kid that are completely false. But. Oh, yeah. You know, or, you know, people in Ukraine, like, you're yeah. like, right, like, you know, just all yeah, these other all things. All the other things are yeah, going like on how, in the world how can or the country. Right? Or, yeah. Like, how can we be, like, you know, doing that and like mm-hmm. being like, oh, like I want to like, you know, do this Pinterest activity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I think it's easy to be like, that's so like ridiculously privileged. What's wrong with me or what's wrong with that person, right? Who's mm-hmm. doing that? Mm-hmm. But I think it's only by, and what the book was talking about is only by those moments of like decorating the cupcakes or doing that like Pinteresty thing mm-hmm. that we are, we're creating hope for the beauty that there can be in life mm. for like those people who are in those positions. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if we're only focused on all the bad in life, then there isn't even something for them to like move toward either. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like that collective human experience. I don't feel like I worry that very well, but it makes sense from what you said to me. Yeah. 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 Like that even, even though it can feel kind of privileged and, you know, frivolous it is those like little frivolous moments that yeah are the reason to be alive right it's the reason to like fight for better water it's the reason to you know help parents get reconnected with their children Mm -hmm. right from the camps and like different that like that's the reason because of those cupcakes that you're decorating yeah for those moments Mm. it makes me feel like I, i think about when people are like well this could be worse Oh, this could be worse. Like, I guarantee that people who are dealing with certain things, maybe in this country, that you're like, let's just, I'm going to throw out a hypothetical out there. Like, you're doing the Pinterest thing. Somebody, uh, a state down from us, is in lower income housing, and they're not able to do that. So you compare those two there. Mm. But then the, the people that are in the lower income housing are potentially doing something that somebody in Ukraine can't do either yeah so like no matter where you are there's always going to be somebody who can't do what you're doing that's why comparing trauma is never helpful yeah it's never helpful because i mean the the whole like oh someone else has it worse off like that's never helpful because everyone's experience is relative to them in that moment and it's all valid right whether it is like you're fleeing a war-torn country or you know figuring out what you're going to buy with your food stamps there we go Good example. Yeah. Coming from a kid who was on food stamps. Yeah. So, yeah. That's interesting, though. I thought that was really interesting to think about, though, mm-hmm. that actually those moments are not frivolous. Those are the moments that are, that that's the hope. Yeah. That's the reason to fight for a better, better world, is for Way those moments. Way to put a spin positively on <laughs> social media. Because I feel like also sometimes social media can be fake. But at the same time, I actually agree with you on, like, it does kind of give you some kind of hope. That's a that's a fine line almost now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, yeah. We don't have to dive into that. Okay. <laughs> that's a significant that's a conversation. different episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I like it. It mm-hmm. puts a little spin on it. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It also makes that. me think about uh, both things can be true. Mm, yeah. That duality, so. right? Which I think is duality, dichotomy. That's like mm-hmm. becoming an adult. <laughs> Whoa. I feel like once like that's like the 
acceptance of adulthood, like yeah. realizing that, accepting yeah. it fully, like understanding it, and then mm-hmm. like sitting through it because it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times it sucks. Yeah. All right. I'm tired. Me too. I'm going to go to bed. Thanks for listening. Hopefully that wasn't too much of a ramble. And if you've seen Pebble and the Penguin, comment (laughs) below. (laughs) People stopped listening like 20 minutes ago. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Bye.